Hey, we can't let we can't let Olshine sit up front. That's got to change. God, I love this time of year. Y'all look good. You sound good. It's the best time of the year. I forgot a couple things uh, to, I want to keep in front of you. One is, of course, our Christmas Eve service, which actually happens on the eve of Christmas Eve, December 23rd, not 24th, right? Uh, we usually meet right outside here uh, in the field, but we actually have a brand new venue that I'm pumped about. We're going to be at Irmo Community Park in the amphitheater there. And I'm telling you, we, we got a beautiful night uh, coming together for us. And there's just something about being outside. I think Christmas just hits different outside because so much of the season has to do with what's happening in the sky anyway. There's something about being out there uh, underneath the stars. It just makes it even more meaningful. And it's a time of year where people are much more open uh, to coming to church as long as they're invited, right? So we'd love for you to help us with that. Invite your friends and family, and it's going to be a beautiful time together. And then one other thing. This is important. Um, Make some noise if you know that God works through other people. You all know something about that? Yeah, that's how it works, right? If God's going to work in our life, it's more often than not, it's through, through other people, right? Their generosity, their willingness to be interrupted, right? To, to lend a helping hand. As a church, we're going to carry this conviction into the next phase of the home campaign, the building campaign. We are so close uh, to reaching that, that initial goal. We're not inching close to like 95% of that initial goal of our pledges uh, confirmed, which is amazing. In order to close the gap, though, we're going to be inviting our friends and our family to help us out uh, with a one-time gift that will go towards the building campaign. You know, I, I so believe in who we are. You know, I, have, I don't have a hard time bragging about this church, right, who we are, who, who we want to grow into. And I believe that there are people in our circles People in our networks who, when they hear about us, would love the opportunity uh, to make an investment to help us out. You know, people who may, may never step foot in that new building would appreciate the opportunity uh, to invest in us, to help us sort of move into this next phase of our life together. But they have to be given a chance to do so, right? They've got to be asked. And so next week, we're going to be rolling out some resources that we think will help you do that. Uh, maybe make the ask a little bit easier. But my challenge for you today is to begin prayerfully considering who, right? Who in your circle uh, could you invite to potentially make a gift this year for Christmas to help us close that gap? Can you all do that for me? Just to begin praying about who, you know? Because, um, again, God works through other, other people. And I think some of the people God wants to work through are our people. Amen? Yeah? Awesome. Scripture reading. Here we go. Scripture reading today. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with them. The angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And may God add a blessing to the hearing and the understanding and the doing 
of the scriptures. Amen? So it's the second week of Advent. We talked about this last week. For those of you maybe rookies to the season of Advent, Advent means coming or arrival. It's a season in which we look back to the birth or the first Advent of Jesus in order to anticipate the second coming or the second Advent of Jesus. It's a moment in human history when we believe that God will set everything right. Now, we're having ourselves a good old-fashioned Advent this year, right? Traditionally, there are four themes of Advent. Who remembers what the four themes are? You should know two of them. Hope, joy, what else? Peace and love. Well done. These themes are meant to help reorient us to God's promise of a good future. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need a reminder, right? I don't need just some warm, fuzzy spiritual. Sometimes I need some good old-fashioned religion, right, to help reconnect me to these things because I tend to just get untethered from it, unmoored from it. So what the season of Advent is meant to do is, is reconnect us to this, this hope that we have. That, man, history is headed somewhere, and that somewhere is good. Can I get an amen on that? So last week we talked a bit about Advent hope. This week we get to talk about joy. It's just fun even saying joy. Like joy, it's the best, isn't it? It's one of those things that we're all familiar with, but man, it's almost impossible to define it. Am I right? Like trying to describe joy, no matter what you say, you feel like your words fall short because it's just that good. It's hard to describe it, but when we know it when we see it. Am I right? In fact, when I think about joy, thank you, I love that enthusiasm. Is that Haynes over there? I see you, buddy. When I think about joy, I think about my wife, Lindsay, watching funny videos of people wiping out, like fail videos, funny fail videos, you know. God, when she watches these videos, she just loses it. She gets tickled. Like the kind of, she can't stop laughing. And it is so funny. If you're having a hard time imagining what this looks like, don't worry. I have a habit of recording her every time she does it. Let's watch. <laughs> There it is. I'm in so much trouble. Um, wait, wait, where was that? Um, it, just it actually sprays the bag in the toilet bowl at a 45 degree angle. That's deflecting it. Just to show this video until right before I left for church. I was like, baby, you got to do me a favor. So she's in the nursery right now. Pray for me. Um, let me get home. I love you, babe. According to neuroscientists, though, joy is the super emotion. So they call it the super emotion because you don't just kind of feel joy. Man, when joy hits, it completely takes over. Am I right? I love how the great wordsmith, Frederick Buechner, favorite author, he's my favorite author of all time, but I love what he says about joy. He says, joy is all-encompassing. There is nothing of us left over to hate with or to be afraid with, to feel guilty with, or to be selfish about. Joy is where the whole being is pointed in one direction. 
And it is something that by its nature a person never hoards but always wants to share. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? Man, when you, you, when you don't just kind of feel joy, like when joy hits, it takes over everything. There's nothing left of you for any other. It's just joy. And then there's something about joy that, man, moves us to share it. This is why brand new grandparents, you get around them with their cell phone, what are they going to do? Show you every picture of that new baby, right? Because they just got, you got to share. You got to, something makes you, it gives you joy. You got to share it, which is why I love recording my wife laughing at videos. That's, that's for you. You're welcome, right? <laughs> but today I want to share a few thoughts about joy, particularly the joy that Advent offers us. And maybe a few thoughts on how we can facilitate a little bit more joy in our lives. That's where we're going to go. Can I pray, though? And then we'll get into it. God, I just want to say thank you. I don't know that we say that enough, at least not um, in any sort of meaningful way. But I just want us to be the kind of people who actually consider, stop and consider the gift of our life, the gift of just being here, the gift of what's possible, because it's all, it's just good. And we want to be people who know joy, who who are ready for it when it comes our way. Who can allow it to sink into us and to, to make us bigger on the inside. That's who we want to be. And so right now, I just pray that you speak to us. I pray that you drag whatever it is that needs to be um, spoken into. Drag it up front. Bring it to the surface. And then share with us a word that we need to hear. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this passage from Luke, we have the angels, right, speaking to a terrified group of shepherds. And the angels say to these shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be great joy, or literally mega joy. I love that. It feels like I should have an echo to it. Mega joy, 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 right? Great joy for all the people. So the angels, they say to these shepherds, do not be afraid. If you read through the Christmas story, particularly Luke's, there's angels showing up everywhere. And every time they show up, they freak people out. I mean, they just, they're terrified, right? It's like, ah, an angel, right? And they're terrified. But almost every single time, every single time an angel shows up, they say something like, do not be afraid. Because, you know, in the Jesus story, this is what heaven has to say to earth. Do not be afraid. Because this thing that's happening, this new thing that God is up to, it's about joy. This new thing that God is doing in the world is about joy. And later they break out into song because joy and singing just go hand in hand. Right? If we were to like watch a video of your life, you know, you didn't know we were watching it, but we were watching it. Those times when you feel moved, sometimes you're probably going to be singing. Am I right in the kitchen doing something? You're just feeling good? You just belt out into one of your favorite songs? Anybody else? No? Yeah. Joy and singing go hand in hand. Sure. I like that. But they break out into this song. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, the way that that gets translated, it makes it sound like God's favor only rests on like a select few. That's not the case. In fact, one commentator said that the, a better way to translate this verse would be something like, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among all humankind with whom God is pleased. One of my favorite descriptions of joy went something like this. The feeling you get 
when you make eye contact with someone and you can tell that they're happy to see you. You know that feeling? Isn't that a great description of joy? You make eye contact with somebody and you can tell instantly they're happy to see you. I think that that is what God is up to in Jesus. God takes on flesh, becomes one of us, gets down on our level to make eye contact with us, to let us know that God is happy to see us, that God is pleased with us. And here's what I know. We all believe in a God. We do. Maybe you don't call it God, right? But we all have maybe what you might think of as like an ultimate reality. Right? You have some sort of belief about how this whole thing works, about why we're here in the first place, about what the point of all of this is. What you believe about that, whether you want to call it God or not, right? what you believe about that shapes how you live. And I would argue that it has so much to do with how much joy we're able to experience. Right, so even if you're here, just hang with me. Right? Even if you're here and you say, you know, I don't know that I believe in God. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. But just kind of hang with me for a second. Right? Stay with me here for a second. Because, again, you have some sort of belief about the posture of the universe, if you will. Right? About the shape of all of this. There's really only three options. Put that slide on the screen. There's really only three options when it comes to what we think or how we believe about this. One is that we believe that reality, the universe, God is for us. Is like on our side, is generous towards us, right? Option two, you might believe that it's against us, that it's hostile, right? That it's not your friend, it doesn't want good for you. Or option three, you think it's sort of neutral, it's just kind of indifferent, doesn't really have an opinion about us, right? Those are probably the three options when it comes to how we believe about God, the universe, or whatever. Is it generous? Is it for us? Is it against us? Is it hostile? Or is it just sort of neutral? Now, in my experience, people who typically hold to that third option, Neutral or indifferent, when things get hard, when things get bad, they tend to drift towards option two. They tend to drift towards seeing reality as against them. Now, without arguing which one is the right one, right? Well, I'm getting, that's another sermon altogether. Here's my question. Who do you think lives a more beautiful life? Or who do you think has the more capacity to experience joy? And people who, who believe that everything is against them? I mean, if that's why you believe, then, then really cynicism is the only safe way to live. If it's too good, don't trust it. Right? You kind of stand at a distance from everything. Because you don't know, it's going it's to turn on you. Right? Just wait. If it seems good, just wait. Bottom's going to drop out. It's going to turn around. It's gonna be, it's gonna get, don't get your hopes up. Right? Who tends to live a better life? Or people who, who trust that the foundation that everything is built on is love and generosity. That yes, life can be difficult and even brutal at times, but it's still good. Who ends up living a better life, more beautiful life? Or maybe you can just ask it this way. Who has more capacity for joy? People who think that life is a gift? They see it first and foremost as a gift or as an adventure? Or people who see it as a trial? Something you're supposed to endure. Who has the most capacity for joy? You, you know, and it's like, I don't want this to make this sound sort of easy, because it's not easy. But, but I'm beginning to realize, I don't know if it's the older that I get, right, or whatever it is, but when it comes to what I call true with a capital T, the things that I'm willing to trust, 
I find that more and more I'm putting more and more stock in experience. Not just experience, but in like an experience. And in the, in the fruit, what sort of fruit does trusting this thing actually produce in my life? That's one of the ways now more and more I'm beginning to determine what, what is actually true. I mean, Jesus said it this way. If you want to know something is, is wise, what sort of fruit does it produce? You'll recognize wisdom by its fruit. And you know, for me, intellectually with God, I can't prove God. I can't prove it to you that God is there. But here's the question I ask. What sort of fruit does trusting in a God that looks like Jesus, what sort of fruit does that produce in my life? Good fruit. A pear? Not a pear. Close. That was great. I mean, I was talking to this guy a couple weeks ago, and he's, you know, he's always had a hard time intellectually coming around the idea of God. He identifies as agnostic at best. And I love this guy. Great conversation. Um, and I can, I can relate to a lot of that. Like personally, I can relate to a lot of that. But he was talking with me. He's in this really serious relationship with a girl who is a person of faith or Christian. And one of the observations he was making is that some of his like, cynicism and skepticism is starting to rub off on her. And an interesting observation was he didn't like the fruit that it was producing in her life. There was this heaviness to her. She wasn't enjoying certain things like she used to. I mean, it was like, I thought that was so interesting. And I was like, man, time out. What if that's evidence that there's something to all of this? What if that actually makes it true? It's the fruit that it produces in your life. When you trust that behind all of this, there's a God who actually likes you. A God who actually wants good for you. A God who's promised to be with us even in difficult times. The fruit that trusting that, what if that's enough evidence to prove that it's true, that it's worth Trusting. Some of you are going to have to listen to that three or four times to get it. I understand it's out there. It's weird. But it matters. It matters. You see, joy, real joy, is birthed, I would argue, out of our life with God. It's birthed out of allowing the truth of who Jesus reveals God to be to confront all of our misconceptions about what we've come to believe about God. I think joy is birthed in us when we allow the truth of how God feels about us to confront how we feel about us. Imagine, right? Imagine how differently we would live, how much more joy we would experience if we could come to trust that all of this was tilted in our favor. Imagine how much joy we would experience if we could allow the love of God to get through to us, to land. And then what would happen if we began to actually live from that place? Can you imagine? So I think experiencing real joy has everything to do with our proximity to God. Who's a source of joy. Psalm 16 says it like this. You show me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Do you hear that? In your presence there is fullness of joy. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, good things as well as bad are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Wow. If you want to get warm, you got to get near the fire. This is about proximity to God. And one of the things that's interesting about joy is that joy is something we can ask for. Did you know that? We can ask for joy. Psalm 51, verse 8. The author is lifting up this prayer. It's actually more of a demand. Listen to this. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. When's the last time you asked for joy? You said, God, listen, right now, I could use some joy. Give me some joy. Maybe that's something we need to do. In the face of your particular grief or despair, what sort of joy, what sort of gift do you need to receive from God? So Advent joy has everything to do with who Jesus reveals God to be. But it also has a lot to do with who Jesus inspires us to be. Right? Luke's Christmas story ends in this really endearing way. Right? You've got Mary and Joseph giving birth to their baby in a stable because they couldn't find anywhere for them or anywhere else to stay. I mean, they're, they're people who are far from home, right? And they, they can't find anybody who will welcome them in. So they're, they're here in the stable. And then these shepherds, they go and visit them. They, they offer comfort and support to these strangers. I mean, the whole movement of the Christmas story in Luke's gospel is telling. It's interesting. It moves from divinity to humanity, from heaven to earth. At the beginning of the story, it's big. Everything that's happening is happening like in the heavens. There's, you know, Caesar in Rome calling for a census. You've got angels showing up everywhere. I mean, it's all this really big stuff. By the time you get to the climax of the whole story, all the supernatural has just sort of gone away. And you're left with these strangers offering hospitality to one another. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. See, Jesus has this way of bringing out the best in us. I mean, he's doing it right here at the beginning as a baby. He has this way of bringing out the best in us. I shared this with some of you years ago. but We got a lot of new people in the room, and it's worth, it's worth repeating. But I one time had a seminary professor offer a different and pretty controversial take on the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of Jesus' most you know, well-known miracles. It's one of the few miracles that shows up in all four Gospels, right? I mean, it's a big deal. But Jesus, Jesus essentially feeds this crowd of thousands with a little boy's fish sandwich, right? And traditionally, it's thought that, you know, Jesus supernaturally multiplied the bread and the fish, and that's how everybody, you know, was fed. But this, this professor, he affirmed that, but he also said there's another way it could have gone down. There are some details in John's gospel, John's account, that are interesting. You see, in John, we're told that it was close to the Passover festival. Passover is one of the biggest festivals of the year. It was a pilgrimage festival, which means that people would travel to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Passover. So they're coming from all over the place, you know, into the city. And so this crowd that Jesus was in the midst of was more than likely a crowd of pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. You don't just happen to stumble upon a crowd of thousands of people just kind of hanging out in the middle of nowhere, right? No, they're probably traveling together. It's a caravan. They're on their way to the city. And the professor pointed out that if they're pilgrims, right, then that means that a good bit of them probably have packed food and provisions for the journey, for their stay in Jerusalem. So he said that another way to understand what happened is that there was something about Jesus' presence among the people. And there was something about that little boy's act of sacrificial generosity that inspired the people in the crowd to share what they had with each other. The people who had enough were moved to share with those who didn't have anything. Now, I can feel it in the room, what we felt in the classroom that day, right? There was this automatic tension in the room. It was like, wait, 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 no, 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 We're not comfortable. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. Jesus, for it to be a miracle, Jesus had to supernaturally manifest, you know, the bread and the fish. And the professor could feel that. And he's like, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Listen, I'm all for miracles, right? 
I'm not, I'm not saying it's not possible for miracles. But I loved the question he asked us. He said, which one would be the greater miracle? Which one would be the greater miracle? Jesus making a bunch of bread and fish just appear out of nowhere, or Jesus moving in the hearts of people to actually share? It's a strong point, isn't it? What's a bigger miracle? See, in the Gospels, Jesus had a bunch of titles. People called him all sorts of things. Son of David, Son of God. You know what his favorite title for himself was? Son of Man translates to something like the human one. Think about that. Man, sometimes we get so caught up in the divinity side of things. Yes, Jesus came to reveal to us God. Yes, but you know, more than that, he came to reveal to us what it means to be human, to be really human. And Jesus just has this way of bringing out the best in us. He did it better than anybody, which is fitting around this time of year. What do you notice people doing? People who are religious or irreligious, what do they try to do? A little bit harder this time of year. Be kind. Be kind. It's fitting, isn't it? In honor of the one who is the best at it. There's something to that. There's something to, uh, worth paying attention to. And so here's the thing. How do we apply this? Well, one of the surest ways to foster joy in us is to spark joy in somebody else. You want to feel joy? Spark it in somebody else. Be kind. Do something for someone else. I love how the great Catholic uh, thinker, Ronald Rawheiser, he talks about this. He says, the surest way to drag yourself out of a chronic depression is to bless somebody else. When we do something for someone that lifts them up, that lets them know they are seen and that they matter, he says, not long after we do this, I love this part, without being conscious of what triggers the feeling, we will sense deeply the joy of being alive of standing inside so rich a life, and we will spontaneously say, God, it feels great to be alive. But he wraps it up saying this, when we act like God, we get to feel like God. Conversely, when we are petty, we get to feel petty. There is a clear cause and effect here. When we do big-hearted things, we get to feel big-hearted. And when we do small-hearted things, we get to feel small. And we foster joy by sparking joy. So here's my challenge. Make time for this. Don't just try to squeeze it in, right, last minute. Oh, man, we didn't do anything generous this year. Like, what can we do? What can we do? Like, make a shoebox, whatever it is, right? No, make time for it. Be intentional with it, right? And if you're having a hard time figuring out how to do that, we'd love to help you, right? We got all sorts of families right here in the district we want to sponsor. We want to help them have a great Christmas. Maybe we can get you connected to that. We got a group of you that I know are about ready to, to make a great night for the women at Samaritan's Well. Am I right? It's a, it's a shelter for women, for homeless women and their kids. And we've got a group that are going there to, to put on a beautiful night for them, dinner and crafts. We're going to give the moms gift cards so they can buy uh, gifts for their, for their own kids. Like, you want to get involved in that? Let us know. We'd love to help get you involved in that. You know, here in a, a couple weeks, we're going to go serve um, with Midlands Orphan Relief. We've got time set up for that, right? But you notice these opportunities when you're actually looking for them, too, right? Make this a priority this time of year. Man, Jesus brings out the best in us. Lean into that. Make space for that. And here's the deal. We've talked about all this before, haven't we? None of this is, these aren't new ideas. 
when it comes to joy. But it's like my mentor, Mike Slaughter, said one time. Remember him? He was here with us. We were giving him a hard time about being so repetitive in his preaching. Like, you just talk about the same things over and over again. Love what he said. I'll stop preaching about it when you start doing it. I was like, okay. Mic drop. But I did have, I did have an aha moment last year at Christmas when it comes to joy. It was a real personal moment. It just like stayed with me all year. I've been thinking about it over and over and over again. I talked about it at the Christmas Eve service, but I didn't say everything that I wanted to say at it. And here's, here's what I learned last year. Joy isn't at our beck and call. It doesn't come to us when we demand it. It comes to us when it wants to. I had this moment last year where uh, I was, you know, all of our rooms, our bedrooms are upstairs. Like the laundry, there's a little laundry room there, and then there's three bedrooms, right? And there's a little hallway kind of in the middle of all of the bedrooms. And so I was going up there. I, th- I was thinking I was just putting dirty clothes in the, in the hamper. Isn't that what you call it? Hamper? Yeah. So I was up there at a handful of dirty clothes, and I wasn't thinking about anything amazing. I wasn't, I had no presence of mind. I was doing chores. I was getting stuff done, right? But I walk up there, and it's dark. It's nighttime, and all the, all the lights were off. The only light that was sort of up there was from the kids' Christmas trees. They have these two tree, the trees in their room, and the, the warm glow of that light was kind of spilling out into the hallway, right? And so I'm walking up there in the dark. I'm holding these clothes, and, and there's the light. And then down in the basement, we've got this old piano, old family piano, doesn't work really well. It's out of tune. Like some of the keys, you have to like really mash them to get them to work. Uh, and the kids had learned some Christmas carols. I think they were, they were playing Silent Night. But it wasn't real steady, you know. It was like they still have to like look up. Next picture of tongue out. Like looking at it. It's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and so I could hear that music drifting up the stairs. I'm literally, I'm just I'm holding dirty clothes. There's light coming from the kid's room, and I hear this, and something just bubbled up inside of me. I was like, wow. It's just beautiful. I mean, just the fact that we're even here. We didn't have to be, and we are. You ever think about that? I mean, it's amazing. There's just something about the moment. It just just overwhelmed me. And I was like, I had this thought, then a 65-year-old version of me is going to be dying to remember this moment with clarity. So I just sat there with a handful of dirty clothes. Like. But the part that was so, like, kind of shocking for me is, like, I didn't go up there looking for that. I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't like practicing gratitude and then joy. I mean, I was taking dirty clothes up to the hamper, and it just, it happened to me. I didn't make it happen. It happened to me. And that perhaps is the biggest aha moment for me. You know, I used to think that joy was something we could conjure up. You know, just be grateful enough. I do think gratitude has a lot to do with joy. I think gratitude readies us for, for joy. You know, I think it readies, but it doesn't force it. You know, it's not like I'm going to think about seven grateful things. and I'm, No, that's not how it works. Joy is not at our beck and call. Again, I love how Frederick Buechner says it. He says, happiness is one of the highest achievements of which we are capable. And when it is ours, we take credit for it, and properly so. But listen to this. We never take credit for our moments of joy because we know that they are not man-made. And that we are never really responsible for them. They come when they come. 
And you know, there's, there's actually a bit of relief for me in this. Like there's actually a bit of a liberation that takes place because it means I don't, I'm not expected to live in this heightened state of joy all the time. It's not possible, right? In order to be a person of joy, I don't have to live in this heightened state. No, that's, that's part of what makes them so special. Joy is elusive. It isn't transactional. You can't control it or manufacture it. I can't say to you, if you do these three things, then you'll know joy. If I tell you that, I'm trying to sell you something. That's not what joy is. You can't control it, but you can make room for it. You can make room for it. You can ready yourself for it so that when it comes, you notice it. So how do we do that? Right? That's really the question. Well, gratitude has a lot to do with that. It really does. Gratitude, you always find what you're looking for. If you're looking for reasons to be cynical and doubt everything, you're going to find those. But if you're noticing the gifts, right, if you're recognizing the things in your life that are worth being joyful, you're going to find those too. So gratitude sort of trains our eyes, makes us ready. But the thing I want to finish with is this. I feel really called to talk about this because one of the ways I think we make room for joy is we do just that. We make room. We declutter. We simplify our lives. I mean, a lot of times it's like Mary and Joseph, right? Going from place to place, looking for somewhere. What do they keep hearing? There's no room. There's no room for you here. There's no room in the end. I think one of the reasons we struggle to experience joy is there's no room. We're too busy. We're too distracted or we're too comfortable. Our lives are just so saturated with too much that we have a hard time really appreciating or enjoying much of anything. Parents in the room, it's different for you probably, right? Like we, we stream all of our TV, I'm talking about, like Netflix, we stream it. You know, we don't like watch, we don't have cable, right? Which is different because like for my kids when they get into a show that they love, they have immediate access to the whole thing. Right, every season, every episode, right? They can just binge watch it all if they want to, and that's kind of cool. There's some like benefits to that, but they're missing something, aren't they? They don't know the feeling of like waiting all week to remember that waiting all week to watch your show. Man, your show came on one time, came on one day a week at one time. If you wanted to watch it, you had better be on the couch ready to watch it. Right? There's something to that that like I think makes you appreciate and enjoy it more when you're spending all week going, "Ooh, it's almost TGIF." You know what I mean? Like. You're just like so pumped. Like, they don't have that. It's like I can just sit there and watch it all. They don't appreciate it in the same way. I mean, there's really something to that. You know, our culture of ex- excess, man, we have too much. And so it's hard to appreciate much of anything. There's a lack of joy. But I mean, for the longest time, you know, Advent used to be four weeks of fasting. Did you know that? There were no lights, no carols, especially in England, ancient, like medieval England. There were no lights or Christmas carols. There was no feasting. Everybody fasted. Really simple diet. Christmas Eve, everybody was vegan, right? And then Christmas Day marked the beginning of the festivities. The trees were decorated. The lights came out. People were singing. Twelve days of feasts. Nobody was supposed to work. Not even the slaves. Everybody was free and available and invited to these parties. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking on how we do it. I love the whole season. I love the food. The part, I love it all. I, I'm ready to start a day after Halloween, right? But there is something about that way that draws me in. Like, actually, we get so caught up in the, the too much of this season that the thing that it's actually about just gets buried under credit card receipts. Am I right? came across this great essay by an author named Anna Quindlin. 
I loved it. She, she was watching some old VHS tapes from Christmases years ago. And she was watching her kids on Christmas morning. And watching these videos took her back. I love how she said it. She said the camera is like a time machine. Isn't that the truth? And so she's watching all of this. But she started to think about what was running through her mind back then. All of the things that she was worried about. All of the things that she was stressed out about. And what she realized is that most of that stuff that she was worried about wasn't actually worth worrying about. And here's how she said it. Listen to these words. These are so good. She said, the essence of the season lies in figuring out what small stuff is passing minutia and what is enduring memory. Come to think of it, that may well be the essence of everything. The truth is that once you've watched kids on a Christmas morning high of ripping packages opening, gloating over the contents for a nanosecond, and then moving thoughtless onto the next thing, you know that's not what they will ever take away from the day. You understand the power of that uncommon humdrum thing that glows in memory. That's what I would tell my younger self if I could go back. Find that. Worry about that. Make sure they have that. Everything else is just plastic. You want to experience joy? Embrace simplicity. Not as some sort of necessary drudgery, but as the way in which we make room for joy. Feels like we need to sing a little bit more. Can we sing one more song together? That's all I want to leave. I'm going to invite Thomas up here. But sometimes just singing back through can just help some of this sink in. Am I right? And so as Thomas is coming back up here, let's just remind ourselves of what we heard. Just kind of hold yourself in a prayerful posture. But, you know, our capacity for joy has a lot to do with what we believe about God. So maybe what you need to do this morning is ask God to convert you. Convert you on the inside to help you believe the good news of Jesus, that God likes you. At the same time, you know, we foster joy by, by sparking joy in others. And so right now, God, we ask you to give us eyes to see opportunities to do that when they come our way. And finally, you know, joy isn't at our beck and call. We can't force it, but we can make room for it. So, Lord, give us wisdom to know what that looks like. Help us make space for joy. Help us to recognize what's clutter, what's passing minutia, and what's something worth paying attention to. And our spirit, we just invite you to drive home what we need to take with us this morning. Let's sing together. Fields and 
floods, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. verse again. pray for us. Oh, God. Empty us. Empty us of our angry judgments. Empty of us of our, our aching disappointments. Empty us of our anxious trying. And breathe into us. Breathe into us something new. Something like a stillness. A stillness that inspires confidence. And then, God, we ask that you grant us a peace, a real peace that calms us and readies us to hear from you. And, Lord, during this Advent season, we just ask that you catch our pride, catch our doubt off guard, so that at least maybe for a moment, maybe for a few moments this season, we may sense your presence and your care. And even more than that, God, we're going to ask you to surprise us. Surprise us with a sudden joy. A joy that overwhelms us. Let it rise in us even now. And carry us onward to whatever happens from here. We love you. It's in the strong name of Jesus we all pray. Amen. Church, Merry Christmas. Thank you for being here. Don't forget, students, we're hanging out tonight. If you want to stick around for Starting Point, we'll be hanging out in the nursery here shortly. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.